I'm going to do a review today of Jordan Peterson's new book, the sequel to his first book. Well, not his first book, but his first 12 Rules for Life book. So this is 12 more rules for life beyond, uh, beyond order, which is an interesting title. Uh, the, the interesting thing with this book was is it just came out a few days ago. Um, I happened to be in the bookstore uh, with my kids and it wasn't in the <laughs> new releases section. Um, it, there was like a zillion Barack Obama books, like you couldn't move for them. And uh, so I asked the employee, I'm like, I, where, where's the new releases? And she's like, oh, just over here. And I'm like, okay, is there a specific one? Yeah, I'm looking for the new Jordan Peterson book. Oh yeah, yeah, and she took me, it was buried kind of in the self-help department um there was like three copies of it so i guess even his publisher and or maybe the bookstore i don't i don't know who is at fault here but they're you know kind of trying to uh downplay his book because apparently some some people are butthurt about it but can we be surprised i mean just yesterday, I heard apparently they're stopping publishing like six Dr. Seuss books because some of the pictures in it uh, uh, offended some easily offended people. Uh, Dr. Seuss is getting canceled. So it's a little surprise that people who already have it in their head that Jordan Peterson is a bigot or something else, whatever it is they consider. I've, I've heard from these people. I know some of these people and, and you just ask them one question. Okay. What did he say? What did he say that was, if they say transphobic or if they, what, what one thing, one thing he said that, that, uh, yeah. Anyway, I enjoy his work. It's helped my life. So I got, um, this second book. Um, interestingly though, it, it seems from the introduction, the introduction goes through a lot of his personal struggles health wise and so on. Um, in the, in the little, in the, uh, past couple of years. And when he was talking about his intentions for this book, it's quite interesting. It's almost like, so he, he views the left and right, like the yin, yin the, the yin and the yang. And he says they need one another. So in the first book, he was saying, basically it's, it's out of balance. Things are out of balance. And what we need is a little bit of tightening up a little bit more order. In this one, he's, he, in the beginning, he says, well, if you push order too far, then you'll have problems. Um, so this is, there's more in it about like the, the creative, uh, beauty and these kinds of things and stuff that you would think would appeal more to the left. The problem is they already have it in their heads that he is whatever they think he is. Um, so trying to appease them at this point isn't necessarily going to help them. And I can see I mean, I don't think he's got a lot of followers on the alt-right because they hate him too, but um, to the extent that there's people that are pure, purely right, we'll say, even if they're not 
overly extreme. Um, I don't think they'd appreciate that kind of messaging either. So that's my initial concern is that is it's going to not have a, as wide an audience because um, the people who took to his first book, some of them might not appreciate that kind of thing. That being said, I started the book and um, and I've been enjoying it so far. I think he still has lots to offer. So um, I'll just start covering that uh, in more detail here in a bit. first chapter, or I guess the first rule of the book, um, is, is, uh, do not careless, do not carelessly denigrate social institutions or creative achievements. So, hmm, a couple things I noticed while reading, or I guess I should say listening to, I got the audio book of it, um, I actually put down the the book I had in the bookstore and decided I'd rather the audio book instead. Just uh, well, that's that's actually how I read best is <laughs> listening. Um, although sometimes I find myself taking notes. I'll probably I'll probably get the other the the uh, hard copy is hardcover as well. Um, so. Oh yeah, one of the things I noticed while reading this is I noticed it as well in the first book, and I noticed it when I saw uh, Jordan Peterson in person. Uh, this was in, in Ottawa where I saw him. He's not exactly direct to the point, and this is both a good thing and a bad thing. It's, I guess, a bad thing if you're impatient and you're like, well, what's the point? What are you getting at? And he does get there, it's just he never gets to his point in a very direct way. He's always um, he's always going about it from a different approach, which is fascinating to listen to, although sometimes you kind of get lost in what he's actually trying to say. Um, now, if you can if you can manage to uh, bear it through and, and get to the end, then oftentimes the it, it's very profound how he gets there, and that, that's fascinating to listen to. Um, the other thing I noticed is that a lot of his advice that I'm I've been hearing in this. So what it is, what he does is he he comes up with an overarching. Is it pronounced overarching? Anyway, an overall kind of theme for the chapter, and, and that's what this one was. And and then within that, he has a bunch of little kind of mini essays that are broken up to help illustrate his point, and, and they sort of lead you down this path of ultimately getting to his, his larger point. Um, so a lot of these suggestions he makes I think they're going to fall on deaf ears I think the very people who need to hear these things are the exact people who will reject him and his ideas so for example he talks about the fact that we need 
a balance between the left and the right. Um, I'm kind of surprised he got into that this early. Um, but that's sort of what the chapter's about, is that we need social institutions and we need creative outlets. So in other words, we need both the left and the right. I think that's what he's driving at. thing is, I think the people who need to hear that are the people who are not going to listen to him. And even... Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair to say. I mean, they've already either made up their mind about him or they're just not going to hear the message. So it's a good message to get out there. I don't know the best way to present it to people in a way that they'll listen. I don't think he does either, but um, I'm sure he's doing his best. Um, yeah, there's, there's little subchapters within there that are, are quite cool, actually. He talks about... Well, there's two two things off the top of my head I can think of that really stood out to me. The the one is um, he he calls it the point of pointing. So he talks about his granddaughter and how she points at things, and that's how she communicates that either she wants something or that this is important to her in some way, and that pointing to something is is very vital to us as people. And we point in different ways. Once we can verbalize, then we we point with our words and and so on. It's just a fascinating way to think of, you know, how we give certain things importance, and we hopefully strive towards those things of importance. Um, another kind of along the same lines is the idea of he talks about the the fool, uh, the archetypal fool. And the importance of allowing yourself to be a fool in order to transcend your foolishness, I guess. Uh, allowing yourself to be a beginner at something. And this spoke to me a lot. Where I am at work, I'm, I'm learning a whole new set of skills that are... Well, today, for example, I was struggling with them. It was a lot of new concepts at kind of rapid-fire to the point where it was a little bit overwhelming and a little bit discouraging when I felt I wasn't getting them as quick as I wanted to. And I have to keep reminding myself that in order to get it, I have to accept that I don't yet get it. And he talked about the image of, you know, the fool looking upward to the sky. I don't know why that just... I'm... I'm I think he said it was on a tarot card or something, or I can't remember where he said that image came from, but I really like that thought. You know, I I like this image. I, I remember liking the image when I saw it in the movie Man of Steel, him just kind of looking upward to the sky and it's as if he's trying to, trying to look towards his potential and he knows it's out there and he wants to go to it and he wants to dig down deep and find the find it within himself to get there. So the I mean this is just stuff that he got me talk got me thinking about, you know, and I don't know how much of it was intended, um but that's probably a good thing. So the 
one of the other things I wanted to say about the first chapter, it's it actually reminds me of something that I was taught in film school, and it, it was in the I think I believe in the writing class, and the sentiment was know the rules and then break the rules. So, because the first chapter seems to be all about. Um, I mean, he talks about Harry Potter and, um, I think Pocahontas and a few other of these kind of timeless stories. And in Harry Potter specifically, he talks about how there's the, the characters are rewarded for abiding by the rules, but also breaking them. So, and, and he makes some statements, something along the lines of, uh, follow the rules until the rules undermine their very purpose something like that and I think even Jordan Peterson had a hard time articulating quite quite what this moral is and that seems to be the foundation of heroism which is um, understanding the rules applying them but mastering them to the point where you know, um, you know the purpose behind them, and sometimes rebelling against them is necessary. It's a, it's potentially dangerous because I mean, but it's this is this is kind of the point is the rules represent order, and but order isn't perfect. I mean we have to be flexible at the same time. So, and if you are too bound by order, then you hinder creativity. I remember, especially as a young guy, when I was in, uh, when I was writing a lot more and doing stuff in the film industry, I was constantly feeling the, the, the instinct to rebel against structure and these kinds of things, and don't tell me my, my story has to be written in this way, like, maybe there's another way I want to tell it, and that's, that's okay, as long as you sort of know the foundations, um, otherwise it's, um, it's just chaos, it's not, it, it's hard to consider that art, so, Anyway, uh, yeah, that was that was uh, a big thing that I uh, that I noticed from this first section as well. Okay, so rule two is uh, and actually, okay, let me collect my thoughts. Rule two is imagine uh, who you could be and then single mind aim single mindedly at that. I will say you could read, you know, the the chapter headings of this book and get a general idea of it, the kind of Cliff's Notes or Cole's Notes. Which is it, Cliff's or Cole's? I think one's Canadian and one's American. Anyway, you could get the, we'll say, Cliff's Notes on what the general intent of the chapter is, but you definitely won't get the full value of it. Um, but this this one actually, it, it really excited me. I, I started listening to it on the way to the gym. And, and this idea of imagining who you could be, then aim single-mindedly at that, really, that by itself is quite inspiring. But he actually, I think he means it in a 
greater sense than who I could be. I could be the, the you know, because I was, like I said, I was going to the gym. So who could, thinking of who you could be, what's the best physical version of yourself you could be. Or, or you might think of it in a creative way. What's the best writer or musician or whatever I could be. That's good and all, but I think he intends it in sort of a, a higher purpose. Who could you be in terms of your community and in terms of the, the even the greater society and, and even if you want global society and, um, and, and he uses the words, he says, it's the creative or sorry, courageous pursuit of what is meaningful. I kind of love that. What is meaningful? I mean, this, this is something that I know, I think it happens to a lot of us when we get older, we start thinking about our contributions to the world and what is meaningful. Have I done good? And this feeling like you haven't is what will keep you awake at night. Um, whereas when you've had one of those days where you're like, I've accomplished a lot, I've done a lot of good, you know, you, you, you feel good about yourself. Um, one of the interesting, an example of how, you know, the, the content of the chapter, it kind of reminds me in a way of that book, um, seven habits of highly effective people. How you, again, you can read the chapter headings and get a sort of you know, um, <laughs> a, a brief overview of what he's going to talk about, but the content within that, the exploration of that idea is way more valuable, um, in my opinion. And an example of in chapter two, what, what he talks about, he talks, he, he gives the example of getting a letter. So you get a letter in the mail from your tax authority, whoever that might be in Canada, it's the Canada tax, uh, uh, Canada, Canada revenue. <laughs> Jeez, I should know this. I just got the letter from them. Um, and in it's, uh, I believe it's the IRS in the States. Anyway, you get, you get a letter from them and it's like almost dread. You know that you're going to open this and not like what's going to come because it's going to be something probably telling you, you know, you owe us money and sometimes even comes with sort of a, a veiled threat. So the question he asks is, do you open this letter and think your way through it and deal with it? Or do you try to ignore it? Now, this is a great metaphor for a lot of things in life. When we encounter things that we'd rather not deal with, that we know we ought to. And the thing is when we, when we, I would say courageously, I would say deal with it. Um, when we kind of take a deep breath and per push through it, then we, um, it's this, it, it's amazing, this feeling. And actually I experienced that yesterday. I can't remember if I mentioned it. Um, when I was talking about chapter one and, um, the idea there was well, one of the ideas in chapter one being to, uh, the, the fool, the, the fool who, so allowing yourself to be a beginner. And I was mentioning, I know I mentioned that 
um, that in my work I'm I'm a beginner in in some sense of the word uh, for for some of these things, and it's discouraging when I don't do well at it. And I experienced that yesterday, and and this chapter kept going through my head. And the funny thing, I was I actually was talking to my wife about that and mentioned that this was good words of wisdom about trying to not get too down on yourself about the fact that it is new to me but as these words were coming to me and I was thinking about it I, I kind of rejected them I was like you know eh, shut up I don't want to hear this right now <clears throat> um, um, but there actually came an opportunity at the end where uh, the, the my trainer said you know what I can tell I can tell he saw that I was kind of feeling a little discouraged and and defeated and spent because I also learned a lot so my my head was throbbing I was feeling down I wasn't in a great spot and he's like you know what I'll do this next thing uh, this next task and I don't know what made me do this but I, I said you know what I'd like to give it a try and it felt so good and it was actually the best, um, the, the the best run of the day, at what it is. It's simulation uh, training, so uh, it was probably my best run of the day. And and but but what was best still was just that feeling I had of not giving in to the desire to lay down. Uh, funny enough, as as I was thinking about this, about how the value of of the contents of the the chapters is is more valuable than the actual just you know reading the headlines. It's fu- funny enough. Like about two minutes later, while I was reading, while listening to the book, uh, he made a similar observation about how you know the the experience of watching someone you love suffer and die perhaps is far more profound and affects you far more than say reading uh, their name in an, in an obituary or, or something like that so it was just funny he, he observed what what I found in his book in, in other areas of life and uh, yet, at the same time, we also like representations of those things in terms of stories and songs and poems and art form of basically any kind. So, part of what he's talking about actually had me, I guess, questioning. And, and then uh, later he addressed it uh, with with a quote I'll see if I can remember it um, it was something like when when uh, culture is destroyed by ignorance monsters emerge so I'll, I'll come back to that in a minute basically he was talking about the need for people to um, sort of under understand why we have walls or rules or societal um, uh, parameters and 
but the thing is, if those become too restrictive, then we need those who are courageous enough to uh, rebel against them in a way to tear them down so something better can be built in its place and uh, something that better reflects our current society. So where I was like, eh, it reminded me in a way of that's the sort of justification behind people tearing down statues and, and so on and using chaos to um, justify or, or using, you know, whatever, yeah, to, to justify um, acts of destruction and this kind of thing. And the thing is, there is, in fact, a time and place for that. You think of regimes that have become tyrannical and they needed to be taken down. The problem is when things like the media and that tell you that you're oppressed when you're not really oppressed and you get all upset and and start wanting to destroy the institutions without understanding them. And I think this is what his quote is talking about, is kind of blindly following uh, a path in, into destruction without... Um, without seeing the bigger picture, without stepping outside of your your emotions and your your biases, I guess, your inclinations. Um, so so when he's talking about in this chapter about being the th- th- being all you can be. I think I think we can look at that. In order to be the best version of ourselves, we have to look hard in the mirror and try to see those biases and see where we've overstepped or overcommitted to something. And you know what? I will say in the... There's been some times I've had arguments with my wife. And the times they've been resolved to the greatest satisfaction that these things can be in in my experience is the times where I've I've taken some time away and I've said, okay, what did I do wrong here? And even if I felt perfectly justified in my position, I asked my contribution to this argument and how I could have handled it better and where I was wrong. And I find that if I then try to resolve the thing if I go to my wife and say and start it off that way with this is what I said wrong or this is what I a way that I did it that was wrong um, she respects that she respects that I'm not being so stubborn to my position that I'm you know, turning it into a a blockade between us, that instead what I'm doing is, and you know, the, the amazing thing when I do that, when I say this is where I was wrong, usually the greater point comes to surface because I know there's usually areas in there of unity. There's areas where we agree. So even if I hold tight to my reasoning for it, if I find something in there, one little thing that 
I, I can I can say, all right, you know what? I'll I'll give a little bit there, um, and the, and then I say, you know what? I I think I was wrong about this, um, and and you were right about it. And um, usually, what I find is that um, we do find common ground quite quite readily, and um, because both of neither one of us really wants there to be uncomfortableness or uh, between us we're both committed to finding peace the thing is it's easier to get there when 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 we're able to let go of um some of those things and what i've found over time is that this approach has softened her a little bit in terms of previous areas where she held tight to now she's like yeah you know what I can see the other side of it now and that's okay you don't have to and and that I, I really respect that I mean you don't have to agree with the other side but if you can understand it I mean that's that's when you are a well-developed person because at least then you can be informed of your decision and you're not just believing following something because you should like an example of that I know this is a tangent this is a huge tangent but like when I was in film school um, I was um, I definitely considered myself on the left I was all about I didn't like censorship I thought you know it should be up to the artist to decide when to hold back and when to uh, express something and I don't like the idea of of being overly censored uh, by the right and these kinds of things and and that was probably my most treasured value Um, something happened over the years that that particular thing shifted so that now it's the left doing the censoring Uh, I don't it's very weird to me but that seems to have happened so when that's my most treasured value for most people I I don't think they even noticed it and they just kind of held on to their um their their left leaning things and and I think that's the tragedy is that you're <laughs> you're whoever it is you know that's that's swaying these things and and changing the um whatever it is that the current modern day say left or right or whatever it is happens to be um, those individuals or forces or whatever um, if, if it's become so easy to find yourself fighting against something that you used to hold dear if you're not aware of it I guess is is kind of my, my point there um, and so I think I think getting getting back to the book, I think this is kind of what he's driving at is be aware, you know. Don't just ignorantly go after a society because, you know, you want to feel like a victim. I mean, understand where change needs to happen. This is this was kind of my problem with caller caller Colin Ka- Kaepernick um, a little bit because you know he's a, a privileged guy. He had the 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 world um laid in front of him he got to play sports on the greatest stage in the world he had every opportunity open to him um he he was born into you know adopted into wealth and everything and um 
yet, <laughs> and yet, uh, he decided to go the route of claiming that he's a, a, an oppressed victim. Uh, Oprah Winfrey even made a comment that you, you can't, this isn't exactly what she said, but basically something along the lines of saying that the only way to be successful in life is to be uh, a white man. Um, this kind of blindness to reality is not very helpful to becoming a person that's that's productive and helpful and useful and and to to a community i'm pretty sure that's kind of what he's suggesting there so uh yeah i apologize this has been a little bit choppy uh, I've been kind of <laughs> trying to kind of make notes as I've been going through chapter two because it's such a dense chapter. But again, like I said, he, he works his way around to the point. And I think the point he's trying to make, ultimately, he says a little bit more directly to the end of chapter two, which is essentially that in order to realize your potential you need to be willing to confront the things that terrify you. That has to do, again, with that letter analogy and everything. And, uh, and of course, sometimes the things that terrify us are like, like the other things I was talking about, like how it's, it's our own biases. Uh, we don't like to confront those or notice them or pay attention to them. So paying attention to what's out there and what's uncomfortable and understanding that overcoming those or facing them is the key to, to being the best person we can be in whatever um, area it is we're trying to be our best. Rule number three, or chapter three, however you want to look at it, is uh, do not hide unwanted things in the fog. So this one I actually got through pretty quickly. Um, it, it felt like a brief chapter, but it it did build upon the chapters before, and it was really talking about not um, hiding away from things that... Um, that potentially frighten you and it it builds on the idea that the most difficult things in life often become the most rewarding when we overcome them or achieve them and that we have that kind of built into us as human beings is that when something is difficult and we do it it's it does feel very rewarding um he talks about peter pan and, and that myth and the refusal to grow up and how it and a little bit about how uh, Captain Hook there was his nemesis was the clock which symbolizes time and all this stuff and um, it, was, it was quite an interesting little analogies he drew, drew uh, from, from stories he does this quite a bit in his lectures is drawing on sort of timeless tales that how they um, how they sum up the human um, experience in, in interesting ways and um, and you know he he talks about how if we refuse to kind of grow up in a way if 
if we don't leave behind the childlike, I guess, contentness, if that's a word, just being content with the way things are, if we don't leave that behind and, you know, advance to a more mature type mode of being where we are able to cope with the things that that worry us then what winds up happening is we still wind up having all the same suffering in life but we lack the meaning that can come from it so it it was like I said a pretty brief but still quite profound little chapter chapter slash rule four is uh, it's a kind of long one here let me see if I get it right Um, notice that opportunity lurks where responsibility has been abdicated I don't think I've ever actually used the word abdicated abdicated in my uh, in my normal life but anyways where it's been um, uh, uh, whatever I can't think of a better word for it right now but anyway so it's sort of a call to be useful to do the jobs that other people don't want to do to show your worth uh, which is actually pretty good advice certainly in terms of making yourself valuable in the workplace but uh, he takes it a little bit farther than that to suggest you know it's it's about um well actually towards the end of it he uses the expression and there's a, a subchapter called pick up the extra weight so which actually i heard that quote of his he he posted it probably close to a year ago it was way way back Actually, I think I saw it come up as a memory. So it was over a year ago when when he originally started saying this. It it showed up as a meme or something and pick up the extra weight. I thought it was brilliant. So in other words, help share the load. Carry your portion of the load and someone else's. Um, Do the things that other people don't, especially. And he mentions that. So the idea that responsibility has been abdicated. So somebody else shirked their responsibility. That opens the opportunity for you to take it upon yourself. That's such great advice. I mean, if my children could learn to do that, I would, I mean, I think they're on the way to learning that. I'm trying to help them incorporate it, but it's like, it's taking initiative, right? So he actually, in this chapter, he... In, in pretty much all the chapters, he uses some kind of story to illustrate the the point. And sometimes it's, it's interesting to find how he extracts the point he wants. Because in this case, he used uh, the, the uh, Egyptian myth of Osiris and Set and Horus. And um, so when, when I first, when he first started going through the story, I was like, this sounds like it could be more relevant to one of his other chapters Um, because basically what happens is um, Osiris he's the kind of noble king but he's he becomes willfully blind this by the way kind of reminds me a little bit of the Lion King I don't know if this is what Lion King based their story on but it seems quite similar so anyway Osiris said that the noble king he kind of becomes willfully blind um, to the point where his brother Set um, I've seen it written as Seth as well, but I think it's supposed to be Set. Um, murders and over, uh, overthrows and murders him, and I guess he dis- he uh, um, 
uh, what do you call it, uh, dismembers him and all this. It's, it's pretty savage. Anyway, so this is the, but this, this he, he partially mentions is kind of the, illustrates what can happen in our real life when sort of the order we've established falls apart and turns into chaos. So when we're, we're following the rules of our own existence, but, and, and the order, but then something goes wrong and maybe it go maybe it's gone wrong because we've sort of turned a blind eye to things we shouldn't have um and anyway in the story the uh the the queen because he i guess dismembered the king the the queen was able to find his <laughs> junk and uh impregnate herself which is kind of gross but i guess required for the story because she bears the rightful heir Horus and who grows up to and, and so because the the Osiris sort of turned a blind eye to what was going on I guess the symbol for Horus was the symbol of the eye because he's a representation of the willingness to see which as you can see so you can see why I thought this kind of I, I thought this sort of fell in line good with when he said don't uh, I think it was, uh, was it rule three about not letting uh, um hiding from what lurks in the darkness, whatever it was called. Um, but it, um, so anyway, so he, he grows up, he has this, I guess, epic battle with Scar slash set. And, um, he winds up being maimed in the battle. I think he loses one of his eyes or something. And, um, but he, he overthrows the corrupt uncle. And, um, so he actually used this as an example of the strength that we gain by harnessing responsibility, doing the challenging task that needs to be done uh, that others might shy away from. So I love that. But the thing is, he, he, he does qualify it. And I think it, he, it's wise that he does so because he says, you know, don't bite off more than you can chew. Um, and then he takes another step and said said uh, something along the lines of he said that finding the balance of challenging yourself uh, without overwhelming yourself is sort of the essence of meaning which I can certainly relate to from a physical standpoint when you're in the gym that's exactly what you're trying to do you're trying to lift just enough weight to push yourself to a new level without killing yourself so um so yeah, that was chapter four. It was uh, it was one of the more brief ones, I think, but it was also uh, also a good one. Uh, rule five is do not do what you hate. So this one kind of reminds me of some of the chapters in his first book that it, it seems so obvious. Do not do what you hate. Well, who does? And the reality is a lot of us do. And it's interesting to think about that idea. Do we kind of, again, like from the last chapter, turn a blind eye to something that we hate or allow it to go on? Um, so he begins this one with, with a story of, I guess, one of his clients who was involved with a company that... Uh, this this got became quite broad spread, so I don't know if his client was like at the beginning of this silliness, but it was about flip charts and how someone 
thought it was racist to call them flip charts because a hundred years ago <laughs> the term flip was uh, considered derogatory towards Filipinos or something. So I remember this. I remember this coming up and the whole debate of flip charts. What should we call them now that won't offend anybody? And and so discussions like this one or how the ones that have led to Dr. Seuss or Aunt Jemima or other people being canceled over things. Um, so he points out that, that these, these are created by people who, these discussions are started by people who kind of grant themselves the authority to ban phrases they don't like. And it's sort of designed in a way to give these people a, super, uh, a superficial sense of feeling uh, compassionate and clever and noble. And then what happens is if anybody wants to enter the discussion, you know, and, and say something, you know, a different point of view to this, then it immediately paints those people as being the opposite of that, the opposite of compassionate, clever, and noble. So in other words, they become anti-compassionate and foolish and wicked and all these things. So it's... It's a great point. And his client, she was kind of at the her wit's end. She's like, do I just kind of clench my jaw at the direction this is going and just allow it to happen? Or do I do I risk becoming seeming all those things to these people and potentially risk my my job, really, my livelihood, and that could make it harder to get another job. And and basically it's like, how do I support myself? and keep my integrity. So that's um, that's how the chapter begins. So he likens uh, just kind of sitting back and allowing these ha things to happen. It's quite interesting because uh, he says that's sort of what turns you into a, a resentful slave, as he puts it, or uh, this is what leads to nihilism. Uh, and basically he says that this is sort of standing by and letting this happen makes you a cog in the wheel or, or a marionette in a sense and goes on to say that it's nobody's fault for this but your own. He says that if you stand then you'll begin to see the weapons at your disposal. It's funny because uh, with this current this I know this will date this episode but that's okay with the current thing of, of the left canceling um, Dr. Seuss, I, I, um, I became hesitant to voice my concern because, like, I saw this meme and I thought it was great because um, it's, it's kind of sucks that it's become politicized, but that's the world we live in. And it is the left that are, are doing the cancel culture and all this these days, which is weird to me. I can't get over how weird that is. I thought they were against censorship and whatever. Anyway, um, but I saw this meme. It was something along the lines of Trump brought, brought down ISIS, Biden brought down Mr. Potato Head and Dr. Seuss. And I thought it was pretty damn funny. Not entirely true. Obviously... Trump was more personally involved with the fight against ISIS than uh, than Biden was in the fight against Mr. Potato Head. Um, but suppose I don't know. I I don't try to. I don't. 
I don't follow this too closely, but supposedly, you know, Biden was asked about it. I think about Dr. Seuss and he kind of shrugged it off and wrote, well, the, you know, the company can do what they want or something. He didn't really have a firm stance, which, which is a shame, but not overly surprising because, and, and we saw this in Trump too. You don't want to piss off your own followers. I get it. That's the downside of, of the, the, one of the downsides of being highly uh, politicized. Um, I don't know what he thinks personally. Personally, he might think, wow, this is getting really stupid. But who knows, because he won't say that, because then that'll piss off his own people. Um, but I I was hesitant to post it. That's my point. Because the, the final days of Trump, I thought, were disgusting and despicable. And he did his his supporters no favors, that's for sure, or anyone on, on the right any favors, by <laughs> making them... So if you say anything that remotely uh, um, compliments him or, or what happened during his administration, then you risk looking like a, a supporter of the uh, shit that happened towards the end of his t- tenure. Um, so I was hesitant to post this thing, but at the same time I was like, you know what, I'd rather risk looking like a Trump supporter, which I'm, I'm not, but... I'm also not a blind Trump hater, but whatever. I'd rather risk looking like a Trump supporter to the, in the eyes of these idiots than looking like a supporter of the insanity uh, or, or looking like a, a, you know, a bystander, a silent bystander of the, the destruction of our culture through this kind of thing. So I think his larger point in this chapter is a good one. It's all about being true to yourself, really. Especially when that's the most difficult. I've struggled with this idea a lot. The idea of when when to reevaluate. Because you don't want to find yourself in a position where you're fighting... Where you're venomously fighting against something that upon reflection maybe you shouldn't have. Or later on you realize you're wrong and like it's are you overcommitted to something again this is this is a, a personal challenge i think everybody faces is when is the time to and it, it's hard because like the girl in his story you know when this flip chart came up she was like part of her was like is this a fight i really want to do do they have a point um is it it's not really doesn't really seem that significant at this point but do I want to kind of be part of nipping this silliness in the bud um it's it's a challenging thing it's a hard thing to know I wish it were just black and white and something we could but I guess that's a challenge of life is trying to try you have to be able to live with yourself I think that's what he's saying. You have to be able to live with yourself. And what can you allow to go on before you're being, uh, um, I guess, complacent and you're allowing evil to happen before your eyes? Evil in your minds. I know that's it's it's largely subjective, but anyway, it's it's something. It's a huge idea. And that's actually kind of the what you get in this book. A lot of huge ideas that are... He tries to 
whittled down to their essence and tries to talk about. So this, this I think is a huge one that even though the chapter is somewhat brief, I think you can, you can spend hours and hours thinking about this one and most of them, in fact, and, and they all kind of go, I like that there's sort of an overlap of ideas because even in this chapter, he harkens back to the, the Osiris story in chapter four or rule four about how, you know, when a society, um, allows itself to become blind like it did with Osiris and, and how it, it, it gets swallowed up in its own pathology, basically, something like that, he says. And, and um, it, it's, this is where, you know, the, these types of disasters start. And it's up to us as the individual to ha muster the courage to, like, like, this lady, he said, I don't want to be over, <laughs> I don't want to say like, yeah, yeah, she had a happy ending. Well, no, she's still finding herself struggling because of, I, I guess eventually she did, you know, stand up to this thing and she had to leave her employer because of it, had to leave uh, multiple employers because of it and has struggled since with, you know, with her livelihood because of trying to be true to herself. And that's... I, that's a hard thing to live with. It's a really hard thing to live with, you know, especially when you've got people dependent on you. It's also a hard thing to live with to stand by and let things happen that you don't believe in, that you believe to be wrong. So, like I said, this is a huge one. I, I mean, I'll, I'll just leave it there. Um, really, if I, I'm about, I'm not even halfway through the book with, with my review yet. Um, if, if you found any of this interesting, then, um, then I highly recommend, uh, get it, get it from him, get it from the source because it, it goes so much deeper and, and it'll, it'll get the wheels turning in your head. So I intended this review to be a lot briefer than it turned out to be. Um, <laughs> so what I'm going to do, I'm going to finish off the review in another episode because this has carried on so long. Um, so I'll leave it at that. I know it's five. I should have gone to six, but I, I also kind of want to get it out there. So I'll do the final again. I'll I'll try to do the final seven as one. If it's again, if it's too long, I'll split it up into a couple. But anyway, I'll I'll leave this one with you for now because I wanted to get this out there and get it started. And uh, um, so this is my I guess initial reactions of the book.